Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. Today on the podcast, we kick off part one of our series for the season of Lent. The series is entitled Following Jesus. Today we're going to be digging into Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, uh, to talk about uh, how the spiritual life, the disciplines in the spiritual life, uh, help us to become more like Christ within. Hey, check with our website. We've got a couple new features, online giving, as well as some updates on Sin Night, our service industry night service coming up here in a few weeks, uh, and other important things, NorthShoreVineyard.org. But for now, we're going to go ahead and head over to the talk, 525 East Boston Street in downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Here we go. Well, for the last three years of this church, uh, we have celebrated the Lent season together. We, we typically call it 40 Days of Faith, and we invite folks to, to take a journey with us uh, to, to, you know, kind of dig down. We, we do various things as a community together, and I got to tell you, it's been one of my favorite times, it, 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 you know, one of my favorite seasons that we hit in the life of our church each year. It's been very impactful in my own personal journey, and I've heard of many others here that, that have said the same thing in their journeys. But I realize when I, when I say the word Lent, it's not a term that, that comes without some baggage. Uh, I grew up in West Texas, and I was not familiar with the concept of, of Lent. I don't think until I moved to Louisiana when I was 20 years old. I, I, ne- I, don't, I don't recall bumping into it much. And when I did bump into it here in Louisiana, I, I, I kind of thought the whole process a bit silly uh, because it was so associated with Mardi Gras. So you've got these, these weeks of, of partying and, and there's the stereotypical stuff that you see down in New Orleans, you know, debauchery, just uh, uh, I know a lot of stuff is, is a lot more family friendly, but certainly coming at, at it as an outsider, all you, you see is just kind of the, the worst ideas of it down on Bourbon Street, but... Uh, this idea that you're going to party, 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 and then on Ash Wednesday, you're going to give up something for God and, and walk the straight and narrow up until Easter. And it, it just kind of seemed silly to me, uh, almost the way that a, a bachelor party the night before you get married seems silly to me. The, you know, the, the stereotypical, we're going to go out and, and just, just have a blast because tomorrow you're going to, you know, all the fun in your life is going to be over. So it, it's like... It, like it puts the spiritual life in, in this kind of term of if you're going to really follow Jesus, it's not going to be any fun. It's not going to be fulfilling. Go ahead and get that out of the way on Mardi Gras so you can get serious and do these, these, these religious rituals that, that might make God happy. And I think for a lot of people, uh, whether you grew up in Catholicism in, a, in an area that, that, that where you practice Lent or whether you're coming from a Protestant uh, denomination, I think Lent has a bunch of baggage, but I want to say this morning that that it's it's a season in the church that has been observed. It, it predates Catholicism, number one, but it's been a time throughout the history of the church, going back uh, nearly 2,000 years, that, that Christians have uh, really considered the sufferings of Jesus, considered their own journeys. It's been a time of fasting and prayer, uh, uh, of helping the poor, of giving, of worship, of taking communion together as we head towards Easter, which is really the most important day on the whole Christian calendar, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. 
And, and so we're, I'm going to be inviting uh, you into this journey with us. But I just wanted to acknowledge right off the bat, I get it if you have some baggage uh, with that term Lent. And, and I'm hoping that you can see by the end of this, this uh, talk today that, that really, uh, far from being dead religious ritual, this can be an exciting time uh, to encounter Christ in various different ways over the next few weeks. The, the text that I want to look at today is Romans 12, 1 through 2, and I'm going to start out in the message translation, because I think Eugene Peterson, the author of the message, uh, picks up some of the contextual nuances that, that, that might not come out uh, if you were just reading these verses uh, out of a NIV or something. Uh, Paul's writing to, to the church in Rome, and he says this, Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I wanted to start with that reading just because I think it it helps break us out of maybe the familiarity with the text. But for many of you, if you have an NIV or or New American Standard, New King James, it'll be rendered like this. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, and perfect will. So, Paul is contrasting two, ways, two types of formation. We are, we are formed in our world by both internal and external pressures. Uh, one thing we, we mention around here occasionally is, is the idea of spiritual formation. It's just, it's just a way of saying how you are formed by your spiritual journey. But the truth is that, that there are forces all around us that are trying to, that, that are coming at us. And they are going to form us from the outside. There are forces from within that, that want to form us on the inside. Paul is talking about two different ways of formation. He said the first is, is being conformed, being conformed to the pattern of this world. And kind of the imagery that Paul is uh, using is, is, is of external forces applying pressure to squeeze you into a certain mold. When I was a kid, I played with Play-Doh. And in your typical Play-Doh set, you don't have just Play-Doh, you have different molds and things that you can squeeze the Play-Doh into that will end up bearing the image of what, what's ever on the mold. So that it, the way it works is you get a bunch of Play-Doh, you squeeze it together, you stamp it with this mold or press it into something, and then when you take it out, it, it bears the markings of whatever the mold was. And this is kind of what Paul's getting at. He says, don't be conformed. Don't bear the marks of the world on you. Don't be squeezed into the pattern of the world. Because we have all these forces coming at us from the culture, the society, the the ideas about what the good life is, what success in life is, uh, uh, 
and, and, and these things are squeezing us in. And Paul's saying, don't be conformed to that way of thinking, but be transformed. Now, the difference between being conformed versus transformed is conformed is just taking your substance and squeezing it into another mold. Transformation, though, is actually taking your st- substance that is you and changing it into something else entirely. Paul is saying God wants transformation to happen with you. And this, this speaks of an internal process. Uh, instead of being conformed by external pressure, be, be, be transformed, be changed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? He says by taking your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, walking around, going to work life, and place it before God as an offering, as an act of worship. See, in other words, Paul is saying that, that there's things that you can do in your spiritual journey that, uh, that, that, that can actually effect change on the inside. And they don't happen kind of the way that we tend to think of, of, of change happening. I think many of us... We want to think of change, especially spiritual change, happening in these kind of ecstatic, mountain-type experiences. And last week I did share of a, of a time where I had an amazing you know, breakthrough in my spiritual journey. And, it se- it, and, and I, was, I, I seemed to be changed in an instant. But I would say this, that, that many times, the, even those times that seem like breakthroughs, those, those moments where we have just this, this epiphany, where everything changes, where we experience God in a powerful way, I would say that, that even many of those moments are, are the result of a much longer journey. They don't just happen in a vacuum. They are actually attached to a process. And Paul is saying that we can actually see change in our lives by daily offering our lives to him, our, our regular, normal, everyday lives, offering them to God as an act of worship daily. And this has the, 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 the uh, potential to actually change you on the inside. It changes your mind. It, 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 it takes the substance of you and, and makes it into something of, of God, of God's work. We've come to the end of really one of the most depressing football seasons for the Saints uh, that, that I can remember. I haven't been a Saints fan as long as, as many of you. There have been seasons where the Saints had a much worse record. <laughs> it wasn't too long ago. But this last season was, was just depressing for the fact that you had the whole bounty gate thing. They lost their, their head coach, Sean Page. Peyton, uh, they started off the season losing their assistant head coach, Joe Vitt. And then Pete Carmichael, uh, the, the front of house manager, um, even various players. So it was just depressing. And, and what, what made it even worse is that there had been talk uh, before we started this last season that, hey, we've got the opportunity to actually play the Super Bowl as the home team. What, how cool would it be to be doing the Super Bowl in New Orleans and the New Orleans Saints get to be the Super Bowl team? And so it, it, it was, all that talk was just kind of out the window once we got about two games into the season. We just realized, like, we are not a Super, Cal, Super Bowl or Super Califragia, Super Bowl Calib- Bird team uh, this coming year. 
But uh, this this morning, I want to revisit something. I, I had shown a video a couple of times uh, uh, several years ago, but uh, from a, a, a nicer time in the Saints' history, Drew Brees, uh, back when the Saints were uh, Super Bowl contenders, they there was a, a show called Sports Science that actually uh, did an experiment with Drew Brees. And the idea was to see who would be more accurate at hitting a target from 20 yards away. Would it be uh, Drew Brees or would it be uh, an Olympic archer? And so you think of Olympic archers shooting a target at 20 yards away, you would think that that they're going to be some of those precise people on the planet. And yet, when they actually did this, this program, Drew Brees hit the, the bullseye. And we're talking a little bullseye. It's you know, about an inch in diameter. He hit this bullseye from 20 yards away 10 out of 10 times. The archers were lucky to hit it about 6 out of 10 times. And so it was a fascinating thing. And as fascinating as that was... What's, what's even more fascinating to me is, is not when Drew Brees uh, can throw a ball at, at a target uh, from 20 yards away and hit it, but when he's actually in a football game and there's five guys that are over 300 pounds busting through the offensive line trying to take him down. He's scrambling out of the pocket, and then he's, he's moving and throwing the ball to a moving target, and he hits a moving target uh, 40 yards down the field and lands into an area the size of that target that, that he hit 20 yards away. That is impressive. And what I thought was particularly enlightening about this, enlightening about this clip was when they asked Drew Brees, how do you do that? And Drew Brees said, you know, I just, I don't really even think about it. It's, it's all just muscle memory. What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> There are so many different processes that have to go on to throw a ball and hit a little target like that. How can you not think of that? There's the way that you stand. There's the way that, that, that you transfer the kinetic energy from your leg up through your body. And, and, and the way that you hold the ball and the way that you launch it out. The way that you create a perfect spiral pattern. You don't think about any of that. Well, the point that Drew Brees was getting at is that it is muscle memory. In in other words, he's done this stuff over and over and over for so long that it's actually become a part of who he is. I want to say one other thing about that. Going back to the Romans passage, we, we, we tend to focus on Drew Brees, the, the football player, what he does on the field. But understand, what he does on the field is not just uh, a matter of going to NFL practices and throwing the ball. It's a whole life process. He, he trains. He works out. It affects his diet. It affects uh, uh, when he goes to bed, what kind of activities he does. He, in other words, there, there's, there's an entire life of discipline that's built around the craft of, of throwing the football. Many people, one, one uh, kind of way of looking at this was, I, I found a, a while back is called the conscious competence ladder. If anybody is going to learn a skill, you will have to p- proceed through the conscious competent ladder. It's a way of kind of uh, 
talking about how you get to the place of muscle memory like uh, Drew Brees is at. And this works for anything, whether it's brushing your teeth, tying your shoes, learning how to play guitar, uh, any kind of skill that you would learn in life, uh, typing on a, a, a keyboard. And basically, the first rung of the ladder where everyone starts is unconscious incompetence. So, for instance, you may... Uh, go see Eric Clapton in concert and you get inspired by the way that Eric Clapton plays the guitar and you think, man, that touched me so much. It it inspired me so much. I I would like to do that. And so you go down to Guitar Center, you buy the the very same kind of guitar that Eric Clapton plays, you buy the the same kind of amp, um, and... But but the reality is you don't even know what you don't know. (laughs) Eric Clapton makes that stuff look easy. He's, he's not breaking a sweat. He's not looking painful. He's just doing it. And so you don't even know how hard it is to do that. It's, it's unconscious incompetence. But if you move beyond that first level into actually trying to take guitar lessons, you're going to move into the next realm, which is conscious incompetence. <laughs> Now you see that it doesn't matter what kind of guitar you have and what kind of amp you have. Learning how to play the guitar is going to be very difficult. I, I have people all the time ask me about playing guitar or playing an instrument and, and particularly acoustic guitar because uh, a lot of people want to learn how to play that. And, and I tell people all the time, I say, if you can make it through the first four or six months of playing acoustic guitar, you, you will probably make it. Because this is the level where most people get up. It's the level of conscious incompetence. You see uh, how incompetent you are, how hard it's going to be to get from where you are to where you're going. And most people give up then because I'm playing acoustic guitar. Your, your, your fingertips are cracking or blistering. Your, your hand is cramping up. It's hard to get the left hand and the right hand in sync. And when you shift, uh, switch chords, it doesn't sound what you wanted it to sound like. You had visions of playing Freebird or Stairway to Heaven, and, and, and now you can't even play Mary Had a Little Lamb. It, it's conscious incompetence. But if you push through that phase, you will eventually come to the next ladder, which is conscious competence. This is the realm where you have learned some sort of mastery of a skill. You may not be the best. But you've, you've, you've learned how to do something. But it takes a great deal of conscious effort to pull it off. For instance, when I first started playing, I started playing guitar in my, uh, I was about 20 years old. And I went through those first two phases, but I finally got to a point where I, I was able to play some chords and rhythm and, and switch. And, and then I, I started learning how to sing a little bit. And play the guitar, and, and that's when it started to get fun, because I could sing and play the guitar at the same time. Uh, but I can tell you, when I first started singing and playing the guitar uh, at the same time, there was a level of competence that, which I had reached, but the, the truth is, it took a whole lot of thinking to do it. It was... I, I was thinking very hard about what my right hand and my left hand was doing and, and singing, so I wasn't really very free to do it. Now that I've been playing guitar for 20 years, I don't really think much about what I'm playing on the weekends. If I'm playing acoustic guitar and leading worship, I'm not having to worry about, you know, thinking of, of, of getting this, this hand to go from this D chord to this G chord up to this chord. Uh, I'm not really having to, to 
dedicate much processing power to that. I've just done it so much, it's, it's, I can say like Drew Brees, I don't really think about it. It's muscle memory. Which leads us to the final step on the ladder. It's unconscious competence. This is muscle memory. This is when, you have, uh, when, when a skill has become so internalized that it's become second nature to you. It's, it's your default. It's your new normal. For instance, when you first learned how to brush your teeth, it was very difficult. If you've got kids and, and one of those old school toothbrushes, you know, the, the kind that don't have batteries in them, uh, I don't even know if they make them anymore. I guess they do make them, but... Uh, I, if you've tried to teach your kids how to brush their teeth, it's, it's, it's just hard. And sometimes you just give up as a parent. You just, it's, it's just, you, you, don't, <laughs> you don't realize how hard it was to learn to brush your teeth. But learning how to brush your teeth is a very difficult process. And if you don't believe me, go home and try brushing your teeth with your other hand. If I try to brush my teeth with my left hand, it's, it's a mess. Well, the truth is, that's the way it was when you first learned it, started learning how to do that skill. There was the conscious incompetence. And then later, uh, conscious competence. You, you started learning how to do it. But what happened at some point, after years of brushing your teeth, day after day, a couple of times a day, you, you, you ended up arriving to a level of unconscious competence. You learned mastery of it. In, in other words, you, you, you hit a point where it became more weird to walk out of the house without brushing your teeth uh, than brushing your teeth. It had become the new normal. If you ever happen to just forget to brush your teeth and you walk out the door, you get in your car, it's like, oh my gosh, i got to go back inside. <laughs> this feels weird. Uh, you may just not want to offend other people as well. But it's become the new normal. It, it, it's actually more difficult to not do that at this point. And I, I would say what, what applies to sports and music and brushing your teeth and different, different skills also applies to the Christian life. We tend to think of the spiritual life as, as just you, you're going to go through some activities and it'll all uh, just, just change you. But, but understand there are things that we do in church and in the spiritual life that, that if you've never done them, they're weird. I mean, where else in the world do you gather with a group of people to sing songs to a, a person that you can't sing, that you can't see? I mean, it's, it's weird what we do here on the weekends. Communion. Uh, reading this, this, this ancient book, the Bible, a book that is... Uh, thousand, that has many books in it that are thousands of years old. How, how is it that you can read something like that and, and find application in, into you know, daily life in 2013? This stuff doesn't come natural. And I said this a couple of weeks ago that, that, that the, the transformation that needs to happen within us uh, is a daily process because it it has to do with how long you've been apart from the ways of Jesus. So many people have, have in this church have, have spent decades living, being conformed to the pattern of this world, uh, living for worldly success, what the, what the society says is the good life, and now you come to Jesus. And the good news is that, that following Jesus, you have God's Spirit within you. That's great. 
but it's going to require discipline in your everyday life. It's going to require doing things to cooperate with Jesus. Now, I want to say this real quick, lest you start thinking that, you know, all the power is in the stuff that we do. Uh, I use this this analogy in our marriage course that, that we've been running, that if if as a husband i was doing stuff around house providing for the family bringing my wife roses and chocolate uh but i wasn't actually spending time with my wife actually listening to her talking with her going on dates spending special time with her then it doesn't matter all that activity that i'm doing because it's just it's it's activity now, that doesn't mean the activity is bad. It just needs to be put in the right context. Now, if I am spending time with Dina and listening to her and, and being with her, having special time together, and then I add to that, taking out the trash, chocolate and roses, uh, doing things around the house, uh, working to provide for my family, then all of a sudden it's like, wow, cha-ching, everything has come together. But the disciplines for our marriage, they flow out of our relationship, and, and they are not the relationship themselves. And so I, I, I say this, that, that, that reading Bible, worshiping together, serving together, these are all great things, but they're meant not to appease God or to get God's favor. They are really points of, of, of maintaining our relationship with us, points of encounter with God. The things that you do over and over are going to form you. Whatever you do over and over again uh, will change you. And they, they see this neurological brain scientists, the, the more that they study the brains, they say that, that any activity you do over and over again, it's actually going to change the makeup of your brain. It's, it's going to, you can kind of think, it, think of it like this, a, a, a well-worn path through the wilderness. You can go out into the wilderness and, and, and occasionally find these little game trails where deer or other animals have, have they've, they've, they've kind of worn a little path. And so sometimes you can walk on these things. But the truth is that, that whatever, if you start creating, if there's, there's an area out in, the, in your yard or in the wilderness that you travel over and over again, after a while you're going to pack that compact that earth the the nothing's going to grow there it's going to be a well-worn path and the same same goes for our mind anything (laughs) anything that you do over and over again forms a well-formed path in your mind that's why it is so hard sometimes to change bad habits because they become your default it's kind of where you know the the low places that the water runs to when it rains there are some well-worn places that and so but the spiritual life involves learning how to live by God's spirit through different disciplines that that help our relationship with God in the old testament they had many different things that they did that were part of their spiritual formation god actually required them to observe certain festivals like passover um, the Feast of Booths, Yom Kippur, uh, many things that commemorated different things that God had done in their history. And this was a, a powerful place of spiritual formation because every year in their calendar year, they had these rhythms of celebrating God's deliverance from Egypt, His provision in the wilderness. 
and, and it was a powerful thing. They ate meals together. It involved their whole being, their whole sense of community. So they did these things together. And you can imagine how year after year, just, just celebrating these festivals, how, how it would form you on the inside. It, it would. It was a powerful place. And so when Jesus comes along, as we noticed in the Gospel of John, when we were going through that a few months ago, and he, he, he comes up in the midst of Passover or the Festival of Vus, Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment of that. He doesn't kick against that spiritual formation. He, he presents himself as the, the one who fulfills those things. I'm the Lamb of God that takes with us in the world. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. He takes all this imagery from their spiritual formation and, and presents himself as the one who fulfills those things. And so the Jewish people, they had all kinds of things that they would do, rhythms and rituals throughout their year, daily rituals. They had set prayer times where they would pray the Shema. Shema O Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Worship the Lord God, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They would pray this prayer at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. There were certain things that they would do on a regular basis, and it was part of of transforming them, reminding them that they were people of God. But it wasn't just the, the Jews of the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament as well. We find that, that as soon as the church kicks off the ground, Christians began doing things that were different from the world. And they were part of spiritual formation. They were part of the Christian life. For one, they would gather to worship every Sunday morning, the first day of the week, to, to announce new creation, this new thing that God's doing. They would gather together, and they would sing songs to, to one another and to God. And there's actually, I've, I've read quotes about uh, actually histor- historians from that time that were not Christians just, just saying about this peculiar group of people. They get together on the first day of the week and they sing a bunch of songs to a, a God you can't see. And that was so offensive to the Roman mind because who would worship something that wasn't an idol? Well, that just didn't make sense. They would worship together. They would serve together. We find in, in Acts that one of the first uh, programs that the church initiated was to take care of, of, of widows. If you're a widow back in that day, it's not like you could just go get a job. Women didn't work outside the home. You couldn't just go down and get an education at the local community college because you didn't have an opportunity to do that as a woman. So if, if, if your husband died, you were either going to be out on the streets begging for money or perhaps even considering something like prostitution. And so the church, one of the first things that they start doing once they start following Jesus is, is serving together. They would, they would listen to the word of God together. They would take communion together. They would fast together. They would pray together. They would even observe uh, Lent together. There's evidence that, that the observance of Lent goes back to uh, just after the first century. So, I mean, it goes back to some of the earliest days of the church. And while these things are important in and of themselves, I think they're also important in our spiritual formation, tr- being transformed on the inside. Now, I say this again. That, that these changes are very slow over a period of time. The, the type of changes that changed Drew Brees, I, I, can, I can bet you that no matter how talented Drew Brees was when he was a, a, a teenager, that it's been a very slow process of growth in his, his gifting. It's required discipline. He didn't just become an NFL player by the time he was 16 years old. He had to go through things. He had to go be tested and tried. And so all kinds of things accumulated into that. 
Well, what I want to do is to invite you, we're, we're going to be considering this uh, season of Lent together, where we're going to touch on many of these disciplines that, that were a part of the early church and that are a part of the church now. But we're going to sp- take special care to dig into these things more and more in the, in the weeks leading up to Easter. Worshiping together. We will not only have our, our times of worshiping together here on Sunday mornings, we're going to have a, another worship night of extended worship, which if you haven't come out for one of those, those are uh, really fun. We're going to serve together. We're going to do a bag hunger outreach in a few weeks where we distribute 2,000 bags in the community, and then we will pick them up on the following Saturday. Each bag will have a list of items that we're collecting for the Covington Food Bank, and then we're going to bring that over there. We've done these kind of outreaches several times since we started, and we've been able to really uh, help with the problem of, of hunger in our community. I like to pair an outreach like bag hunger with fasting. Uh, fasting has, has been a part of Lent for, for years. But I, I, I want to say again that fasting isn't trying to get God to, to like you. The purpose of fasting is to, uh, to, to take our own hunger and turn that towards uh, God and the needs of others. So what better way to, to what better thing to do than, than during Lent to, to fast something and then to actually consider the very real needs of other people. In my own sense of hunger, I'm going to help the ones who, who really are hungry on a regular basis in our community. Not from a choice, but, but from their circumstances. And I would say this, on fasting, it could be, it could be all kinds of different things. You may want to fast one day a week. Um, you may want to fast, you know, two meals on a Monday. Uh, you may want to fast from certain technologies uh, like Facebook. I did a Facebook fast a couple years ago, and that was, that was really, uh, it's amazing how much time I had on my hands when I wasn't on Facebook. <laughs> uh, you may want to fast a certain, you may want to fast TV together as a family. And these are things you can consider together. Uh, and then finally, it's a, it's a season of prayer. Now this morning, along with your bulletins, you got a 40 Days of Faith prayer sheet. And I just want you to take this home. It's basically got different areas where you can pray for yourself, write down uh, needs that you want to encounter God with, uh, some, some people that you want to pray for. It's got some things to pray for along the church. But it also has one, one last thing that we would like you to consider doing is a three is enough group, a tie group. And these are very informal you just find two or three other people in this church that uh, will get together with you once a week. And you get together, and it's not a Bible study. It's not even really like a, a traditional prayer group. You just basically sit down for about an hour, hour and a half, and you catch your friends up with, with what's been going on in your life over the last week. Everybody kind of shares what's been going on, and then you pray for one another. And it, it, it sounds very simple. There's not a leader to any of these groups. This is purely kind of organic. So you just find people. We're not going to put these groups together for you. You find people that can get together on your schedule. Um, and then just commit to getting together once a week for the next uh, several weeks leading up to Easter. And then the last thing I would say, uh, on our website, beginning this Wednesday, we are going to have daily devotional readings posted up there. These are just readings and reflections over Scripture. It, it, these, these readings are typically out of the Gospels and the Psalms and with a few reflected, re- reflective questions. And these are, these are really good. It's not a whole lot of Bible reading, just a little passage. But you can go through these exercises in about 10 minutes. And we'll have these posted up on the website 
Monday through Friday to help you in your journey. So I would just ask you to consider some of these action steps, and, and I'm really looking forward to encountering Christ in the days to come. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. Lord, we, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for another season of Lent to remember you, to focus on the needs of others, to encounter you both in your word and in community. And we just invite you into this time and we pray that, that you would, uh, you would, we, we would sense your invitation into the things that, that you would want like us to participate, whether fasting or three is enough or uh, outreach to the community, God. Let us be open to what you're saying and what you're doing in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.